Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM, Channel 127. Welcome to Progress After Dark. This is the muckraking, risk-taking, rule-breaking, claim-staking, mischief-making, hip-shaking, wake-and-baking monster of a show called Tell Me Everything, taking on fraud, fascism, fear, and fools. We welcome everybody of every age, every race, every gender, every creed, every identifier, every modifier. This show is open to liberals and progressives and Democrats and moderates and just people who like sanity, decency, and being anti-evil. We also welcome conservatives. You're welcome to call all night long. We welcome fascists who think they're still conservatives. We welcome fake patriots and trickle-downers, Christians in name only, and racists who think they can't possibly be racist because they sat through a Kevin Hart movie once on the Superstation. You're all welcome here! We will be friendly. We won't bullshit you. This is the show that brings good trouble to the right-wing bubble. We got a good one tonight. I'm glad you're here for it. It's such a perfect day. I'm glad I spent it with you. I should write that down. Bob Seska will be joining us later on this hour to talk about, well, uh, Rudy and Durham and Elon Musk's cozy relationship with Erdogan in Turkey. We will also be joined by Molly Wood tonight, longtime business and tech journalist turned venture capital investor who's the founder and CEO of Mollywood Media. And today, today, this woman who's worked on Marketplace, on National Public Radio, the New York Times, CBS Interactive, she has launched a new podcast that is totally fascinating called Everybody in the Pool. It also has a newsletter of the same name. And it's all about business and technology and how they are leading the way towards climate solutions. It's all about the climate crisis, and we know it's a big deal, but her philosophy is enough with the problem porn. The podcast is about solutions and the people and companies who are building them right now. And it's actually a really, really smart show about climate change because it's not just about entrepreneurs. It's all about investors and how people are overhauling their lives in an entirely new economy built around actually giving a shit about what the science says on global warming is being born. It's a really, really cool new podcast. I'm so excited to welcome Molly Wood. I promise to not make any jokes about her name. We have a lot to get through. The Fifth Circuit Court heard arguments today in the ongoing case seeking to pull back FDA approval of the very safe abortion drug, a drug that has been legal for decades, uh, a drug that is much safer than pregnancy, mifepristone. Also, Joe Biden has left the country for his shortened trip to Asia as Democrats are increasingly pushing a 14th Amendment solution to the debt limit while Republicans are just ramping up their lists of demands 
because that's what they do. Climate scientists at the UN believe the world will hit the 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature rise by 2027, which is scary. We're going to talk about uh, the House just voted to send a resolution for the expulsion of George Santos to the House Ethics Committee because Kevin McCarthy is going to let it die in that committee because Kevin McCarthy is not going to risk losing one vote that he needs. We told you last night that most abortions will be illegal in North Carolina after 12 weeks of pregnancy beginning July 1st. The state's Republican-controlled legislature last night carried out a razor-thin override of the veto by Governor Roy Cooper. They were able to do that because one Democrat for her whole career talked about how much she cared about abortion rights has now flipped. Also, Montana has officially banned TikTok in the entire state. Republican Governor Greg Janford signed the measure this afternoon. It's going to be fascinating seeing how this ban will work. I don't really understand how you can ban TikTok through the state, but it's taking effect on January 1st, 2024. And on that day, downloads of the app will be prohibited in the state of Montana. And any app store that offers people the ability to download TikTok will be fined $10,000 per day. That won't apply to the people who download TikTok, just any app store that allows Montanans to do it. What do you think? I mean, is it government overreach? Or is it protecting people about possible security breaches from your fun little video site that's really Chinese malware? I mean, is the responsible way to notify people of the possible security breaches and then give them the option to take the risk? What do you guys think? Is it overreach or is it actually being protective and safe? And what's that word? Oh, yeah. Conservative. Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis are going to war with each other over a six-week abortion ban. It's going to be crazy, my friends. I'm so glad you're with us. As always, we are led by our executive producer, Chris Hauselt, the introducer, the fact deducer, the lie reducer, the healthy juicer, the great seducer. From Brooklyn down to Tuscaloosa, how do you do, sir? The master stroke who doesn't choke, the woke, baroque, and well-spoke bloke. Quick with a joker to light up your smoke, we are led by Chris. He's in South Carolina. Over in Brooklyn, our producer, Thea Harper. You know Thea, the trailblazer, the bar raiser, the call appraiser, the broadcast machine, the Brooklyn queen. All hail Thea, be you Christian, Jew, or Shia. From South Korea to Campuchia, expect no panacea. You have no idea. We salute you, Thea. We got a good crew here. We're going to have nothing but open phones for hour number three. So I hope I say something controversial enough to get a couple of those racists to call, because that tends to make the rest of you guys call in. Let's do a show. Today's an anniversary. A lot of anniversaries happening today. We are broadcasting live uh, for everyone listening, our evil army of the night. We're also recording this live for the Daywalkers. Everybody who listens on the John Fugelsang podcast or SiriusXM On Demand or the SiriusXM app. A lot of anniversaries today. I mean, Trent Reznor's birthday, Enya's birthday. That's pretty impressive. Bob Saget's birthday, Dennis Hopper's birthday, first Kentucky Derby. But I want to go to something that happened, uh, well, a couple years back when the General Assembly of the World Health Organization eliminated homosexuality from their list of psychiatric diseases. What, what, what year do you think the World Health Organization eliminated being gay from a list of psychiatric diseases. Would you believe not until 1990, 33 years ago? In fairness, the American Psychiatric Association was way ahead of the World Health Association. The, the APA, the largest psychiatric organization in the world, they made history 50 years ago in 1973. 
putting out a resolution stating that homosexuality was not a mental illness or a sickness. And that declaration in 73 helped to gradually begin shifting public opinion. It was a major milestone for equality. Homosexuality was originally classified as a mental disorder. But they removed it in 73, and in 1974, it was taken out of the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorder. Although a category did remain for people who were in conflict with their sexuality, but that was taken out uh, 36 years ago. So it was on this date in 1990, the World Health Organization finally eliminated homosexuality from the list of psychiatric diseases. It was also 19 years ago... On this date, and I didn't hear too much made of this, but 19 years ago, the very first ever legal same-sex marriages in the USA began being performed in the state of Massachusetts. Gavin Newsom was ahead of the curve on this, but Massachusetts did it first. And see, they said for a long time that being gay was a mental health problem. And it's not. The, the stigmatization, the discrimination of gay people can lead to mental health problems. But being gay is not a mental health problem. Okay, that's the scientific consensus around the world, endorsed by the World Health Organization. It's what the experts, it's what the most educated people think right now. And, and by the way, uh, you might be wondering about um, being trans. Well, in 2018, the World Health Organization announced in their newly released edition of the International Classification of Diseases that gender incongruence would now be classified as a sexual health condition. That's right. Five years ago, they stopped saying being transgender was a mental condition, and they began calling it a sexual health condition. Now, gender incongruence is, uh, according to the classification of diseases, characterized by a marked and persistent incongruence between an individual's experienced gender and the assigned sex. So, uh, like, you know, a person born with a penis, biologically male, but identifies as a female, knows they're a female. Or with women. Not every transgender person has gender incongruence, of course. But in 2019, the World Health Organization finally announced this important change to their global manual of diagnoses. Being trans would no longer be classified as a mental disorder. Newly approved version placed the issue of gender incongruence under a chapter on sexual health. They said it. Okay. But of course, you might know this. American Republicans don't really pay much attention to what the scientists at the World Health Organizations say. Now, <laughs> here's the deal. Um, this was taken away from mental health disorders because they had a better understanding, because they understood the condition better. They knew it wasn't a mental health condition, and leaving it as a mental health condition was causing stigma. And unfair stigma causes mental health conditions. Do you understand how the logic works on that? Ensuring access to necessary health interventions is what reduces stigma, not saying, oh, you're mentally ill. Now, here's the deal. Being trans is not an illness, but the way society treats trans people often causes illness, discrimination, stigma, stereotyping, violence. These are the things that contribute to trans people having generally worse mental health outcomes than cisgender people, not because they're trans. Trans people are nearly nine times more likely to attempt suicide in their lifetimes, four times more likely to experience depression. Trans people are three times more likely to have an anxiety disorder, much more likely to use drugs or alcohol as coping mechanisms, more likely than cisgender people to have an eating disorder. And researchers found that non-binary people 
who may or may not be trans, have the worst mental health of all genders. More than one in two non-binary people worldwide are clinically distressed or struggling. But it's not because of their sexual orientation or their gender identity. It's because people are really shitty when you don't blend in. Again, major medical organizations, the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, all say being transgender is not a mental disorder. Which brings us to Governor Ron DeSantis, who today signed a draconian anti-trans bathroom bill into law. Did you know that adults in Florida can now go to jail if they don't use the bathroom that matches the sex they were assigned at birth? Let's talk about Ron DeSantis, a man who hates guys in drag, and he also wears heels. A guy who's banned books, who's trying to ban education, who's targeted gay people, trans people, people of color, a guy who's at war with Disney... A guy who's trying to arrange his own private police. A guy who wants women's menstrual data. A guy who refuses to condemn Nazis in his home state. A guy who governs a state that has three holidays honoring white supremacist Confederates. No holidays honoring Juneteenth. That doughy mediocrity. The boy who cried woke. Ron DeSantis, who looks like he just fucking stole Pee Wee Herman's bike. That is what he looks like. He's Francis. From go, go, go watch Pee Wee's big... You pause this. Go watch... The first 20 minutes of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, you come back to me. Today, he signed one of the most draconian bathroom bills in the country into law. It subjects anybody in Florida over the age of 18 to criminal trespassing charges if they don't use the public bathroom that matches the gender they were assigned at birth. Adults in Florida can go to jail. A bathroom ban that's going to lead to arrests, maybe, in months to come. A real conservative would say, hey, you know what? The government should only be involved with public restrooms. Think when it comes to sanitation and plumbing codes, right? The, maybe the business owners and the school districts should decide who uses what. But Peeping Ron is not a real conservative. He's a 21st century Republican. They're not conservative. How is it small government to harass and demean a tiny minority with virtually no power that just wants respect and civil rights? How's that small government? I thought small government was leaving people alone to leave their lives as they see fit. Enjoy your liberty. Enjoy your freedom. That was the thing I read in all the pamphlets for the Republican Party. <laughs> but this is Ron DeSantis, folks. Like lying to asylum seekers that they could get jobs and green cards if they just got on this plane here to Massachusetts. Like passing a law that lets anyone sue any teacher or school if someone mentions gender identity or sexual orientation. Like signing a law that lets anyone sue any teacher if they think a discussion of racism makes dead white racists look bad. This signing today, like all those other things, is just a political stunt because there is no practical enforcement mechanism. It's done just to make not it's not even done to be mean and shitty. It's done so Ron DeSantis can brag he's mean and shitty. He's about to announce a 2024 presidential run in the next couple of weeks. He's still saying he's not officially running, but his super PAC is already running attack ads on Trump. This this new law applies to government buildings, schools, colleges, detention centers, previous draft at private businesses, restaurants, gas stations. The new law will allow the state to take custody of a child if they have been, quote, subjected to or are threatened with being subjected to gender affirming care like puberty blockers, hormone replacement therapy. Ron DeSantis Sign this new law today that requires transgender adults in Florida to obtain written consent from multiple oversight boards 
whose members are appointed by DeSantis in order to get gender-affirming care. He's ripping health care away from most trans adults in his states by banning nurse practitioners from providing it. And he's criminalizing trans care for young people. And on top of it all, he is deputizing any jackass in Florida to patrol airport bathrooms and harass people in the stalls. It's never been about the children. Now, I have some questions for Rhonda. Uh, how does this trans law today help citizens of Florida access affordable health care? How does this address poverty, the high cost of living, some of the shittiest access to health care in the nation? How does deputizing extremists to harass people in bathrooms help the economy of Florida? What about a dad who's out with his four-year-old daughter? What about a mom with her six-year-old son? Are they going to have hall monitors who will physically check outside every bathroom to make sure your junk matches? Here's another one. What about sporting events and concerts, Ron? What about in, in stadiums that might be owned by the state? Lines for women's restrooms are really long. I mean, every concert I've ever been to, there have been ladies who get tired of that and they run and use the men's restrooms. You've seen it, gentlemen. You know. Unless it's a classic rock show, which generally has long lines for the men's room. But is DeSantis going to have bathroom police? <laughs> Guys, this law doesn't protect women or girls. Not at all. More... Republican senators have been arrested in public restrooms than trans women. Uh, Banning abortion rights, that hurts women and girls. Guns hurt women and girls. Guns, this may shock you, kill more children than dudes wearing dresses. But now the new law says you can be charged if you don't leave a bathroom when another person asks you to, meaning it allows anyone to police who goes in which bathroom. And that's a great thing to have in a country filled with gun violence. And vigilantism. And let's not forget, thanks to Ronda in Florida, you don't need a permit or training for that gun you just put up. Now, again, advocates are freaking out. They're saying this is written in a confused way. The laws, they're concerned about how the law is ever going to be enforced. I mean, what steps need to be taken to charge somebody with criminal trespassing because they go to pee? How do you enforce a law like this without invading everyone's privacy? Uh, The press secretary for the LGBT rights group Equality Florida said it feels as though this law is unenforceable and instead deputizes extremists to harass people in the bathroom. Of course, you have a heavily armed populace who's been whipped into the hysteria and now you've told them to go confront people in the bathroom. That's it. That's DeSantis's magic kingdom. You are statistically more likely to be groomed and sexually assaulted by a priest than a trans person or a drag queen. We actually have hard data to prove that. But this is another example of Ron DeSantis way overplaying his hand in the culture wars. And by the way, Jacksonville yesterday just elected their second Democratic mayor in 30 years. Donna Deegan upset Daniel Davis, Republican endorsed by Ron DeSantis in the largest city in his state. And this was the first big election in Florida since Rhonda signed his six-week abortion ban. And in a poll in March, they found 75% of Florida residents oppose it. That's why he signed it, you'll recall, in that private ceremony on a Thursday night at 11 p.m. last month. So this law is going to go on the books. It's going to be useless. When authorities do try to enforce it and arrest people for going into pee in a restroom... Imagine how much money this is going to cost the taxpayers of Florida in all the lawsuits they lose. This is government interference into one of the most private aspects of your lives, and it's not about protecting women and girls from trans women. It's about Ron DeSantis protecting himself from Donald Trump. Anyone who uses a public restroom could be targeted if they don't 
ascribe to the traditional modes of gender expression. So it's really there to make the bigots think that Ron DeSantis is making your little micro penis get bigger. And you can stand and watch in a bathroom and decide who you don't think's feminine enough for the ladies' restroom. Decide who you don't think is masculine enough for the men's restroom. And I don't know if y'all have taken a good look at some of these trans men, some of these trans men athletes that you're so worried about them competing on sports teams. Well, you don't want your trans male to be doing sports, but you do want them to be in the same restrooms as your wives and daughters, you morons. You morons. You cruel, fake Christian morons. This is just like North Carolina's law, HB2, a couple of years ago from 2016. That had huge backlash. The NBA moved the All-Star game out of the state in response. Bruce Springsteen and Ringo Starr canceled concerts in the state after the time. And by the way, Governor Pat McCrory, the Republican, lost his re-election bid to Roy Cooper, who campaigned against HB2, and the law was repealed the following year. Yeah, that's the same Roy Cooper who vetoed that anti-abortion law. And thanks to a turncoat Democrat, had it overturned last night. So look, here's the deal. If you're trans in Florida, you either go in the bathroom that's opposite your appearance and risk making other people feel uncomfortable, or you go in the bathroom that fits your appearance. I mean, you go in the bathroom that fits your appearance and and someone else might be uncomfortable, or you go in the one that Ron DeSantis tells you to do and it'll make other people uncomfortable. Either way, it's lose-lose. You want to solve this? You really want to solve this? It involves spending a tiny amount of money. Make unisex bathrooms available everywhere. That's the only way you solve this. Of course, they're not looking for solutions. This is the Republican Party. They have nothing to offer conservative white people but outrage and angertainment. And that's why you see all these anti-LGBTQ bills. All these bills that ban gender-affirming care for trans youth, prohibit trans children from playing sports at school. In the last couple of weeks of Florida, they passed their own ban on gender-affirming care for trans youth. They have a measure that expands the don't-say-gay law even more to restrict what teachers can say about gender identity and sexual orientation in the classroom. And it was never just for little kids. They're extending it through high school now. Guys, gender dysphoria is not a mental illness. And not all trans people experience that. But gender dysphoria is a term they used to describe the, 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 the clinically significant distress some people feel at the difference between their gender, and the sex they were assigned at birth. Trans people who do have mental health issues have it because of the stigma. You care about trans and non-binary people's mental health? Well, you know what? Have better access to resources. (laughs) That works with any group, doesn't it? Housing security, jobs that pay a livable wage, a guarantee they can't be fired for being trans, accessible health care. That's how you improve anyone's mental health and well-being. Not by letting any Yahoo harass them in a bathroom. DeSantis, people are gay. People are trans. People are beautiful as they are. People are valid as they are. And if you believe in a God, this is how he made them. And Paul makes it very clear in Galatians. There's either neither male nor female in Christ. Look, trans people already know this. Gender affirming health care, counseling, hormone surgeries, whatever, has a positive impact on mental health. That was just in a study at Stanford last year, which found that trans people who want to have hormones and take the hormones have better mental health than trans people who want to have the hormones but can't have the hormones. And the Stanford study also found out if trans teenagers who want to take hormones get the hormones, those kids grow up having fewer suicidal thoughts, fewer substance issues. Less likely to experience a major mental health disorder when they're grown-ups. 
Transitioning can bring happiness, but we're dealing with Republicans. They don't care about the pursuit of happiness. They don't care about other Americans, and they call themselves Christians, but they persecute the least of us. And by the way, this just came through. The Texas House is doing the same thing. They're debating SB 15, banning trans athletes from playing sports at public universities and colleges, because that's the solution, right? To all these mass shootings. And, and that's the solution to your student loan debt. That's the solution to health care prices. <laughs> Inflation. Yeah. Uh, Hunter Biden's laptop and be shitty to trans swimmers. I don't know. I think student athletes should be able to play the sports they love and let the schools work out what's fair. But here, he, this is the Republican model. You find something that's not a real problem. And then you get everybody riled up and then you make new laws instead of, you know, doing something that would help, like fixing your fucking insurance crisis in the state of Florida, Ron DeSantis. But again, Ron DeSantis believes that drag queens and transgender children and banned books are a bigger threat to your child than AR-15s. He celebrates AR-15s and he celebrates selling them to impaired and irresponsible people again. No child's been injured or killed by a drag queen that I can point to. So just to recap. The American Medical Association and the American Psychiatric Association both confirm that being transgender is not a mental disorder. And the Jesus parts of the Bible confirm that trans discrimination is not Christian. We got a great one tonight. We're going to take a really quick break. We'll be right back with Bob Seska and your calls. Everybody gets on the air tonight. This is Progress. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. At least six Democratic senators are now circulating a letter calling on Joe Biden to finally invoke the 14th Amendment and just declare the debt limit unconstitutional because the Constitution lets you do that. Uh, This is backed by Tina Smith from Minnesota, Bernie Sanders uh, and other progressives. And it shows a lot of anxiety among the progressives that Joe Biden might fail to reach a deal, which is hard to imagine, or give away too much. 
to avoid a catastrophic default. For more, let's go to the smartest man in the room on a day when Laura (laughs) Ingram can get fired and then somehow not fired, but you think she still is fired. It's a real pleasure to have a smart guy like Bob Seska. He hosts the Bob Seska Show, one of the best podcasts about music and politics you will ever hear. Maybe you became a fan from his columns at Salon or Daily Banter. Maybe you became a fan from his appearances on the Stephanie Miller Show. We get him every Wednesday. Mr. Seska, it's really good to see you. No, thanks so much, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, I think that whole Laura Ingram thing started with Drudge, didn't it? <laughs> well, Fox News there. said it began with Fox News said left wing activists have been spreading this rumor. And let me just say, if okay. if Matt Drudge is now a left wing activist, Fox should just air all their shows in German because that's <laughs> <Well>, that's. <laughs> yeah, he was reporting Hannity was going to move to the eight o'clock slot and they were going to up uh, Jesse Waters and Greg Gutfeld to nine and 10 respectively. I don't know which was going to be which slot, but uh, I think that's what may have gotten the uh, rumor mill circulating about Laura Ingram, because if Jesse Waters and Greg Gutfeld are moving to nine o'clock and 10 o'clock, where does Laura Ingram go? Because isn't she on nine o'clock or 10 o'clock? Well, notice Fox came out and slammed all the activists who put this article out, but at no point did they say her job at 10 o'clock is safe. So it's very interesting. They say she's still with us. She's still part of our primetime lineup. They didn't actually come out and say that the article was wrong. And I mean, if this is what finally gets Jesse Waters... A prime t- Jesse Waters, for those who don't know, is the, the 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 human tick that Bill O'Reilly <laughs> used to send around the halls of Congress with a tape recorder to harass congressmen relentlessly. And then he yeah. was that he was that waste of donor organs that went down to Chinatown and did a racist little uh, video where he mocked people's accents to their faces. That right. guy, they're, they're they're comedian at Fox. He's there's actually Hiroshima footage funnier than him. But they announced tonight, Bob, that, yeah, this is the new lineup. And, and Laura Ingram's trending all over the place. Hannity moving to eight. Uh, and now Fox is very angry about it and saying it's not true, but it seems like it might be yeah the first time i ever saw jesse waters on screen was you know he was like uh, a sidekick for bill o'reilly and i think o'reilly sent him down to union station where jesse waters proceeded to make fun of and torment homeless people inside yeah. union station yeah, yeah big of him uh, for, for laughs that was that's him hilarious and he did yeah. it again uh outside not in union station but uptown a little ways and uh, it was just one of the most repulsive things I ever saw. I, I can't imagine, uh, yeah. you know, making your career based on hectoring uh, <laughs> mentally ill and drug addicted homeless people. But that's it, right? I mean, and he's the funny guy. But you, you know, it is possible yeah. to quote every joke Jesse Waters has ever told while passing through TSA in the airport, and you still won't violate the no jokes rule. Uh, he's as funny <laughs> as nine eleven footage. But I mean, it does yep. seem that you know the the turmoil is still going on at Fox. I was a little surprised, Bob, because Ingram's numbers are really solid. She beats Lawrence almost every night, and she really wasn't mentioned that prominently in the Dominion texts. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what could justify this other than maybe Fox News wanting to get those two a-holes into prime time because uh, Jesse Waters is stuck on the five. I think he does his own show called Waters World somewhere, uh, which do you get the reference? Waters World, Water World, the Kevin Costner movie. His show is based on the title of the Kevin Costner movie from whatever it was, 1995. And so uh, and then there was uh, Greg Gutfeld, who's in the like 1130 slot or something like that, taking on the late night guys on, on the yeah. networks. And uh, and I, so I think because of this, 
I hate to say this. I'm kind of throwing up in my mouth a little when I say this. Because of the success of Greg Gutfeld's late night show, maybe they want to move him up to prime time. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, I, I've known Greg a long time. Uh, you know, he, he certainly gets the numbers there at Fox. But, I mean, you know who's not going to be offered a gig on Fox News anytime soon? Uh, Rudy Giuliani. And I, I want to tell everyone, no matter what you're going through, I promise you're having a better week than Rudolph Giuliani. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you this. My breath is sparkling fresh because I've been spending the last 24, 48 hours just rinsing out my mouth after reading that lawsuit and all the horrendous stories about Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. Uh, the, one of the ones that sticks out to me is the one where he wanted to get Noelle Dumphy to behave as though she were his daughter. Yes. As, as they it, went into explicit. this hotel. In, in, in coitus, during coitus, yeah. he wanted to talk to her as his daughter during yes. intercourse with the woman mm -hmm. he was preying on. The woman who he offered her a job because he had promised to take on her case as her lawyer and then never paid her. Coerced her into sex acts, then never paid her. It's a good thing this show goes on after the dinner hour, at least on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> Sorry, other time zones, but yeah, yeah, it's it's really disgusting. And Rudy Giuliani, you know that he's a drinker because he's got that alcohol confidence. If he thought that he could send a text message to any particular woman and say, hey, you want me to jump in the shower with you? That's some extreme, extreme confidence, probably lubricated with whatever he's drinking 24 seven. Uh, I can't imagine getting a text message like that from Rudy Giuliani and going, yeah, I totally want to see Rudy naked in my shower. That's so appealing to me. <laughs> That's it. You know, in fact, that image men across the country. Now you have a new image to hold back your orgasms with, you know, you think of baseball or something like that. Just think right. of Rudy Giuliani in the shower and that's all yeah. you need. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I try to teach my child Rudy Giuliani's like if a, an alcoholic ferret with rabies had a baby with um, a, a, a leprechaun who was also alcoholic, and and that's how you get it. Uh, Bob, in looking at this case, it it keeps getting worse, and the more you read the details, the worse it gets. I'm like you, I didn't rinse my mouth out. I had to go delouse myself and get a Valtrex prescription. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it's hard to imagine that he's not completely done. I don't think the New York bar has any other options when this case goes forward, unless Giuliani coughs up some money really quick and Noel Dunphy goes away and drops the charges. I mean, that seems to be yeah. the only way we're not going to see this lead to Rudy being strong armed into testifying against Trump. Because as you know, I've been hanging on to life for the day that Trump and Giuliani turn on each other. That's the popcorn yeah. day for me. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think the New York bar is maybe the least of Rudy's concerns at this point. I think the Eternal Revenue Service, I think the IRS is maybe uh, toward the top of that list. But probably the Department of Justice at this point, if he and Trump had conspired to sell bribes, I mean, to sell pardons. <laughs> Sorry, that was a Freudian slip. Same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for two million dollars a pop and they were going to split a million dollars each. And uh, obviously... It could be a situation where uh, Rudy's trying to bed someone and he makes up a story that to make him sound more important than he is. But yeah. why should we give Rudy Giuliani the benefit of the doubt? I think this is something that's perfectly in keeping with not only Trump, but the people who surround Trump. 
because the whole thing, the whole Trump presidency for a lot of the inner circle operatives was just a gigantic cynical cash grab. They just use whatever, just piggyback onto Donald Trump, make as much money as they possibly can in the process. In fact, Donald Trump was exploiting the presidency to do that exact same thing, using the Treasury like his own personal slush fund, filtering money through the Secret Service to his own properties and hotels. So this is not something that's out of the question for Trump and his people. But it's interesting because the media really focused on the more lurid aspects of this. And boy, howdy, it gets lurid. This thing is uh, wow. It's 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 deeply embarrassing. Um, But I found the most troubling parts of it to be the political corruption. Number one, that in February of 2019, he was telling her already and it's on tape that if Trump loses the election a year and a half from now, we're just going to say it was stolen. And that was always the M.O. from the beginning. Uh, January 6th committee would bear that out. And also, as you mentioned that he told her more than once that they were selling pardons for two million a pop and that he was splitting it with Donald Trump. I mean, imagine if we had an AG who might investigate this. What would that be like? Yeah, that'd be incredible, wouldn't it? Uh, You know, I don't know whether this would fall under the purview of Jack Smith's investigation or maybe there would have to be another special prosecutor. I have no idea Mm. how this would potentially be handled, but it would be a crime against justice if there wasn't an investigation opened into, at the very least, this pardons selling scheme that they That's had right. going. And again, maybe there's nothing to it, but let's find out if there's nothing to it or if there is something significant to it and add that to our growing list of Donald Trump, uh, you know, potential indictments, potential grand jury investigations. I think that's entirely within the realm of possibility. Speaking of the realm of possibility, uh, let's talk about the Durham report. Uh, Four years, twice as long as the Mueller investigation, four years to investigate the investigators. Of course, anyone who wants to say that Donald Trump's campaign never colluded with Russia needs to Google why his second campaign manager, Paul Manafort, had to leave the case. That pretty much settles that question right there. But um, what is your take on this? Uh, a lot of conservatives with no power on social media claiming this was a huge victory and a lot of conservatives with power furious that this was another bucket of coal at the end of a rainbow. Yeah, I think this is all uh, Donald Trump needs, quite honestly, to springboard an entire you know, an entirely new list of uh, a gazillion grievances, because the way Donald Trump works is he's exploiting the naivete and sucker attitude of his people. He knows that his even his most loyal supporters are the biggest suckers in the world. They'll believe whatever he tells them. And in this case, he's going to use this as a springboard, the Durham report, and and many Republicans are going to do this too. use this as a springboard to say that, oh, yeah, look, there was this report and Durham FBI scolded. And then maybe we'll play the soundbite of Jake Tapper saying this exonerates Donald Trump, even though it had nothing to do with exonerating Donald Trump in any way, shape or form. And it's kind of a repeat of Donald Trump's strategy with uh Zelensky and the Burisma investigation that he wanted mm-hmm. in uh, whatever it was 2016 or no, no, I'm sorry, 2019, 2020, 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Started. All the dates are starting to run. Together, I have the but, whole yeah corruption conversion chart on my wall. That was 2019, that impeachment. Oh, thank you very much. Yes. So what Donald Trump wanted Zelensky to do was to merely announce 
that Ukraine was launching an investigation into this energy company. That's it. That didn't Hunter want Biden an investigation. He didn't. He never right. wanted an actual investigation. He wanted the president to go on American TV and say, we're investigating Joe Biden. That's all he wanted. Right. Go ahead. He wanted the superficial cosmetic appearance of wrongdoing. And he's I think he's even on record in the context of that particular impeachment that came out of that extortion, the Ukraine extortion, saying something along the lines of, well, all you need to do is just announce this and I'll take care of the rest. That's the strategy, because if if you have a, a bubble audience, if you have your entire base trapped yeah. in this room, in, in this room of epistemic closure, you can tell them anything. You can feed them any nonsense and they're going to believe it. That's the entire business model of the Red Hat Entertainment Complex, yes. whether it's the yes, cable networks or the podcast. That's what they what came for. They came to be entertained. They came for Trump to yeah. say the things that make them go woo-woo. And that's it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So whereas, you know, they they wanted to get Zelensky to launch an investigation. So they could say, hey, look, it's not just us. This guy Zelensky is launching an investigation into Hunter Biden, too. There must be something going on here. Um, the same thing is happening with the Durham report. The same thing's happening, quite honestly, with the House Republicans investigating Joe Biden. They found nothing. They nothing. can't find their informant, but they don't need to have any of those things. All they need to do is say, yes, oh, my God, Hunter Biden, money coming, Hunter uh, Joe, big guy getting emails and laptop. And, that's, <laughs> and then they put that all together like, you know. That picture of what is it that that gif of Rodney Dangerfield and all those math equations whizzing past his face. That's the that's the Red Hat audience receiving all of those things. You're very right. So, I mean, Durham goes away. Uh, nothing happened. There was nothing here. And, uh, you know, what do you say when you deal with people who say it's proves that Russiagate was a hoax? I mean, no, no, no. No, He's there are so about many Russia things. So much. So, but, what, but what do yeah. you say? Like, I bring up the fact I bring up Paul Manafort got fired from the campaign because of his inappropriate ties to Russia. He was sharing polling data with Russian spies that Donald yeah. Trump has been getting his money from Russia for decades. I, I bring up the fact that Robert Mueller found 10 counts of obstruction of justice. The Democrats decided to punk out on and not prosecute. What do you say when these miscreants come up to you, Mr. Seska, and say the Russia hoax has proved to be a hoax? Yeah. Oh, God, where do you even start? I, obviously, everything you mentioned, the fact that Russia very obviously engaged in an ongoing disinformation campaign to make sure Donald Trump won and to make sure Hillary Clinton, by extension, lost. Yeah. Russia uh, also hacked the DNC, something that, by the way, George Papadopoulos somehow knew about. How did he know about it? I don't know. Exactly. That's interesting. George Papadopoulos, who was apparently just getting Donald Trump coffee. But he knew about the DNC <laughs> hack before it was made public. So these are all things. And obviously, the Mueller report contains documentation of how many dozens of meetings between Trump operatives and Russians. There was yeah. the uh, the meeting at Trump Tower with uh, Don Jr. And uh, I want to say Maria Butina, but that's not her. Um, that's right. Yeah, where they were talking about selling this information to yeah. the Trump campaign or whatever the, the negotiation was there. Lots of connections there. Where You got Mike Flynn being paid by RT. 
$45,000 in a speaking engagement and then showing up at that banquet with sitting at the same table as Vladimir Putin, for God's sake. <laughs> you got Trump Tower Moscow. You got the fact that uh, uh, Don Jr. or maybe it was Eric bra bragging about all the Russian money they've been receiving. I That's mean, we could right. go down the list for days and days and days. Now, all that this Durham report discovered was, yeah, the FBI based uh, its full investigation initially on the steel dossier but it was also the george papadopoulos thing too that launched That's crossfire right. hurricane and it, it, the, basically what durham says is well they should have done a preliminary investigation first and according to Barbara McQuaid, uh, that's something that is still a debatable thing, a debatable process inside the FBI, whether to do a preliminary investigation or to just jump right to the full investigation. Right. So it's a it's a whole lot of nothing. But again, all they need is Durham investigation, FBI, Trump, Russia. That's and it. that's it. Then the Red Hats run off with that and they say, oh, my God, they were trying to take Trump down. Bob, you mentioned uh, General Flynn in Turkey. I'd be most remiss if I didn't ask you about this. Uh, you know, Elon Musk cares a lot about free speech. If there's one thing he oh, hates, God. boy, it's censorship. You know, for a while I made fun of him for not understanding how free speech works. I think I'm the dope because I think he's always known and he just doesn't care. What do you make of what's going on with his relationship with Erdogan and that he's actually censoring journalists on behalf of the state? Yeah, that was a shocking story. And the thing I thought about first and foremost was the forthcoming 2024 election and the fact that Elon Musk has taken control of this gigantic social media platform, basically the hub of the global discourse, whether you like Twitter or not. The fact of the matter is everyone, world leaders, politicians at every level, celebrities, voters, activists, everyone is on Twitter getting the news first. Elon takes over this company about two years before uh, our big presidential election, where Donald Trump, by the way, around the same time Elon took over Twitter, announced that he was going to run for re-election or run right. for election again, whatever we're calling this. The Gro he's Grover Clevelanding his his uh, re-election campaign. <laughs> he's so, trying to. Uh, yeah, and so uh, this should freak us all out as far as 2024 goes because. What if Donald Trump says to Elon Musk, hey, look, if you want some lucrative contracts for SpaceX or whatever it is, you better throttle some Democratic accounts before the 2024 election or whatever the deal might be. Because you have to look at yeah. Elon Musk's desperation in this, too. He saw he inked a deal with Turkey back in September of 2021 to produce rockets for Turkey's Turksat 6A satellite program. So he's already in business with Erdogan in Turkey. Right. And so this may have been a, a CYA kind of situation for Elon Musk, uh, making sure he's protecting that particular income stream for SpaceX. Huh. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And then on top of everything else, there's this other separate story where Elon Musk's incompetence and his downsizing and all of that shit led whatever awful like bottom feeder users on Twitter <laughs> to post the very worst possible animal torture videos you can That's think it. of. And what would happen is if you started to type in the word cat in the search field, it would immediately go to the yep. to suggest the cat torture videos that were being posted. And this went on for days. Ben Collins from NBC News tried to contact Twitter about this for comment or reaction, and they sent back a poop emoji. Yeah. My God. That's so the we all we're have to start about. to wrap... Yeah, we have to start to wrap our heads around the idea that Elon Musk and Twitter 
is a gigantic red flag for the future of American discourse. And uh, we need to figure out, we need to first embrace that so we can figure out how to stop it. And that's Bob the next question. Thank you so much for joining us as always on Wednesday. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your work? Instagram, uh, the Bob Seska, and my podcast is bobseskashow.com. Thanks so much, John. Thank you so much. They're always a pleasure. We'll be right back with your calls after a quick break. This is Progress After Dark. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep, the application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. All right, this is Series XM Progress. I'm Fugel saying we are at 866-997-4748. And I want to talk to a lot of you guys because I haven't heard, I haven't had a chance to pick up the phones yet. Frank in Georgia, thank you so much for your patience. Good evening. Welcome to Sirius XM. Thank you, John. And uh, I was hoping I would get on when Bob was on so I could say uh, a shout out to him. John Jr.'s on Coke. <laughs> well, next time you call, I- I'm-, I'm more afraid that Coke is on Don Jr., <laughs> you know it is. Um, well, I'm concerned. I was telling Thea that, uh, first of all, I agree with you. I don't think Trump's ever going to see uh, jail time because I don't think America is going to arrest America. And Trump just stands for the seediness that America is at our core. And uh, there's just so much corruption. And I was also just, I had an epiphany the other day. I'm going to start sounding like Stephen from Kentucky. I would never be that good. But, um, <laughs> and Mr. Trump, if you're listening, sir, go on. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll have something to tell you. It's all been on my mind all day. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Stephen's got a call. But, uh, oh, I love Stephen. Yeah, uh, me too. He, uh, so my point is, is that you know, George Washington, I was telling the George Washington did not want to be president. So... They created the Constitution, wrote the Constitution. We have this constitutional republic. And now, instead of one king, we have a lot of lords. We have a lot of of, of, of different, you know, governors. Yeah. Um, they all have their own power. That's and right. they will not out- turn on each other. The, the, you know, Clarence Thomas, they will not turn on Clarence Thomas. It's like a gentleman's agreement. Mm. You know, you know, I, I know it seems that way, but haven't they all turned their backs on Bush and Cheney? They've all cut Bush and Cheney loose and they hated us with their obedience to those guys for years. I'm sorry. I think these guys will these guys will throw Trump off of the bus when that becomes convenient. I hope they do. And uh, he's coming to my town next uh, month. 
So, wow. Um, for a Republican convention. So, nice. Um, I don't know. I had plans to be down there around where they're going to be. So, um, I might run into the guy. I don't know. But, right um, on. <laughs> he's a charming guy. I mean, he, 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 but, you know. What's uh, so charming about him? I mean, he's he's there. I mean, have you listened to the Bob Woodward uh, book that Bob did? Yeah, I sure have. Tapes. He released yeah. the tapes. Yeah. A lot of times he's, he's being so nice and kind. Honestly, uh, well, I think it's more about him being charismatic. I think he's very charismatic. He's 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 a performer. He's a born performer. And, I, I you know, he knows how to get a crowd on his side. He knows how to play to a room. He spent a lot of time at pro wrestling. I, I give him points for all of these skills. But unfortunately, they just made him a better right wing demagogue. He hasn't really used them for good yet. He, he knows how to he knows how to work a crowd. He showed that on CNN. The other night. And how bizarre That's right. That? You got it. That was too bizarre. Um, so thank you for what you do. And uh, thank you. I love the music. Out Geek Mitch from Kent State. No one can um, out Geek Mitch. From, I mean, as, if it's before 1979, no one can out Geek the guy. He's, it's, he's a force. <laughs> no, he can't. I hope I conjured up Stephen from Kentucky because I love hearing him. It's like um, he's right here on the veranda with a mint julep next to me. <laughs> no, he is. I know he is, and he's going to say something about the Kentucky Derby since you just uh, brought that up. <laughs> Today is the anniversary, and I believe he was there when Aristides won, so I'd love to get his first-hand report. Uh, <laughs> hey, Frank, I, it's a pleasure hearing from you. Thank you so much. Don't be a stranger. Thank you, All right. Thank you Thanks. sir. Thank you. 866-997-4748. Sean in Cali, what's on your mind? Hey, brother. Well, a lot of things. Um, number one, though, um, I do have to say Stephen from Kentucky um, this is my term, and I, I love the caller. I love him. Uh, he's the enunciator in chief. Nobody yes. enunciates better than Stephen from Kentucky. I, I agree. Don't care who you are. Yes, dear. <laughs> yes, dear. I most certainly agree. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'd call him about immigration, right? You know, no one wants to touch it. It's like, uh, you know, hot button thing. So, I'm going to, you know, break, you know, I'm very simple. I, I do very, you know, stating the obvious. Number one, people. Remember, this country, you know, was uh, already had people here taking very good care of the country. Yes. But in our current state, it was immigrants that built it to the status that it is today, whether you like it or not. That's right. Immigrants. And so um, the real issue here is no one, they talk about it, but they don't really talk. It's numbers. All right. Mm -hmm. Because the fact of the matter is, is look at any big city, including California, where I'm at, we have a housing problem, right? And the housing problem is simply because we have too many people, not too many bad people. See, that's what the Republicans want you to do. Is it that we have too many people or that we have too many people without enough access to housing? I mean, too many people without the funds to get housing because it's been priced out. Well, it's both because there's, you know, the the numbers say there's too many people. And then you come into California or New York. Oh, my goodness. I mean, the cost is is up there in the stratosphere. Right. But it isn't bad people. My point is they try to make it that everyone coming into these sanctuary cities and all that Mm -hmm. are bad people. (laughs) And this is why they're trying to, like, gather up. What they're doing is, let me 
tell it like it really is. The Republicans are rounding up people and sending them to big cities. So the big cities actually have to deal with these issues. And they're blue states, if you want to believe in the blue red state thing. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we will deal with them, right? Because you can't. Because red states can't because they're incompetent. And, and they're phonies. And they want to build a crisis anywhere they can. That's so they it. can try to run on it. Preach. So, I love the people that come from other countries. I'm married to someone that lived in Brazil until she was 11. Um, really? And, wow. and yes, my both my kids are dual citizens, and nice. I and I, you know, I thank goodness I got to go experience Brazil before Bolsonaro. <laughs> but and I'm after, sure it's still great. I'm sure Brazil is still a riot. Yes, but after, um, you know, the military, uh, uh, you know, coup and all that it used to be run by. But my, my point is that having experienced that, you realize the, uh, the people that have nothing work a bazillion times harder than a lot of people I see. And I'm not, you know, going to say that people don't work hard here because they do. They right. work their tails off here. But they're... You want to see someone who knows what it's like to not have anything and try to work for $5 a day or try to earn 20 bucks in one day. That's you it. watch someone and they come here and they'll work their tails off. Not just, yeah. uh, you know, labor. Yeah. Although that is where they first find their way in. They are the Once ones who most believe in the American dream, and they are the ones who most prove the American dream. I mean, you know, I always Absolutely. say to these people when they when they talk about these folks, I'm saying, I say, well, yeah, let me. Do you love your kid enough? I mean, if you were in Honduras and fleeing violence from our drug war, would you love your child enough that you would risk hiring a coyote, crossing that desert, coming here where you would be abused? in every way possible by society. Do you love your child enough? Because honestly, I've said this many times, if they wanted to end undocumented immigration, they could do it tomorrow. You lock up the employers. They don't want to do it. They thrive on the drama and the cruelty gets votes. Uh, You're right on point. And so instead, you know, this argument here, though, I agree with a lot of people that are saying we need to punch them in the chops with our words and let them know that they're phonies because they don't have a plan to deal with people that want to come here, um, you know, and work and become citizens. What that's they it. want to do is say that everyone that come that is coming here that's brown or black is a terrorist. Yeah. But they don't worry about those people from Austria that might be trying to hook up with the militias who are. They don't say anything. They don't talk about the fact that. Most of the drugs are intercepted at our ports. They don't talk about the fact that the majority of undocumented people are people who overstay their visas, not people who cross the border. And as I like to point out more and more, (laughs) there's 50,000 Irish undocumented in this country. When have you ever heard a Republican politician say we've got to do something about all those Irish people that don't belong here? Never. You know how the dog whistle works. I got to go, but I thank you for the call, Sean. Quick break. When we come back, oh, my God, I'm so excited for this woman. One of the best broadcasters. Her voice is amazing. Molly Wood has a new podcast that's all about why taking on climate change is more than good morality. It's incredibly smart capitalism and incredibly smart investing. Don't go away. This will inspire you. We'll be right back on SiriusXM. (laughs) 
And welcome back. This is SiriusXM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. I'm so excited to welcome our next guest, and not just because I used to listen to her on Marketplace on NPR. Molly Wood is a longtime business and technology journalist uh, and a capital investor. She's the founder and CEO of Molly Wood Media, which is an independent journalism and investing firm focused on climate solutions. See, Ms. Wood doesn't just have the coolest name in broadcasting. She's worked, as I said, on NPR, New York Times, CBS Interactive, but she really began covering climate tech about five or so years ago. Um, she now has a podcast that I find to be completely revolutionary, and it's incredibly moral by not pushing the morality of climate change. It's called Everybody in the Pool. There's also a newsletter of the same name, and it just premiered today. It's all about, well, let me read their description. Enough with the problem porn. We all know the climate crisis is a big deal. This podcast is entirely about solutions and the people who are building them. Entrepreneurs are b inventing miracles. The business world is shifting. Individuals are overhauling their lives. An entirely new economy is being born. Don't be the last one in. Everybody in the Pool is a podcast about practical solutions and how capitalism can be used for good. It is a great pleasure to welcome Molly Wood to SiriusXM. Good evening. Hi, John. What a treat to be here. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I loved the first episode. Uh, I, I'm just gobsmacked by how smart this is and how moral it is without waving a lot of flags. I, I, I'm curious, though, you were a, a tech and biz journalist for many, many years. Did climate change spend a lot of time on your radar when you were covering those ends of the human experience? It did. And, you know, it. I mean, it's one of those sort of, I think for a lot of people, one of those background things that is you know it's a big deal and you don't exactly know what you're supposed to do about it. And certainly right. as somebody who was covering the technology industry and business and economics, I did not know what my way in could possibly be. And I had a, a somewhat chance encounter. I happened to share a hairdresser with a world famous client scientist, climate scientist, <laughs> like as, as one does. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and she made some somewhat of an offhanded comment about um, the level of warming that is baked in and the problems that are already going to occur. And she said, it's an engineering problem now. And what that, that was mean? the moment when I finally said, well, this is my story. That means we need technology to new technologies to either mitigate, you know, reduce the amount of carbon that we're emitting with new technologies or adapt. I actually right. originally came to covering climate as an adaptation story. Literally, I called the series how we survive. Yeah. I mean, that's the, what we have been conditioned to talk about and to say, you know, let's get it full Darwinian here and talk about the adaptability of Homo sapiens, because obviously that's what's going to happen. And we're not ahead of the curve enough. But what I love about this is I've said for a long time that business is one of the unsung heroes in the U.S. civil rights movement. But not for any overtly altruistic reasons. They just realized, oh, wait, there's money in advertising towards minority populations. And that was a way where business and the flow of money led to positive social change. I love that this podcast is pointing towards the same kind of idea. What convinced you that this was a podcast the world needed but didn't have? Because it's so specific. It really is. And I could not agree with you more. I have this, you know, I, I think any lasting change. If you look at the the history of lasting change in societies, it's been this combination of activism, awareness, and economics. There, everything is economics. And there has to be, you know, capitalism is, of course, a big part of the reason that we are in the situation we're in, but it's also the greatest incentive system that humans have ever created. 
Thank and you. it's very effective at getting <laughs> things done. And so I was a business reporter, you know, and I had started when I started hosting the show on Marketplace Tech, I started with a deep dive into venture capital. I had really been covering startups and entrepreneurship and just sort of came to realize that there was, and you know, maybe look, this is an inner mercenary I never knew I had at public radio, <laughs> but I just thought this really is a huge opportunity in the venture capital world. We say, you know, the business that you're building has to have a total addressable market. This is a problem with a total, a total addressable market of an entire planet. There yes. is no way that we can't figure this out. And then the other thing that I started to see was um, I also share a hairdresser with a world famous economist. And she mentioned that. <laughs> Let me guess. It's Paul Krugman's, right? Or, or is it Joe we... Stiglitz? Those guys have great quaffs. Um... Such good hair. Such good hair. Yes. It's Laura Tyson, who is amazing. <laughs> um, but she made the comment that at a, one of the big cop conferences, the, the activists and many of the politicians came away really upset. But the economists realized that behind the scenes, money was really starting to move because fundamentally the climate crisis is a risk. Mm -hmm. It's a financial risk. It's an, a mm -hmm. risk for insurance companies and reinsurers. I have the weirdest obsession with insurance that you can imagine because, you know, just as one example, imagine that a company like Swiss Re, right? The, in, the companies that insure the insurance companies, yes. one of them eventually is going to say Bangladesh, Houston, or San Francisco, just as three examples, and probably Venice, is uninsurable. You can't live there. So then money will really start to move. So I just sort of had this double, you know, moment of realization about the money is what's going to get this going. And then, of course, the third thing that happened is that there's a sci-fi book that's about climate change and financial markets by Kim Stanley Robinson. Mm -hmm. All those things happened right around the same time. And I thought, OK, this is my story. It's something that Barack Obama, and I would say even more so uh, uh, Joe Biden, who I think has been maybe the best president we've ever had when it comes to articulating the, the needs of climate, have continually stressed that we need to view this as an emerging market and that yeah. the next wave of business innovation will be focused on adapting and handling the climate change. It, and it really seems what I get from the podcast is that you're approaching this as both a moral and an economic imperative for change. I really think it is it is both of those things. I mean, we have to do it if if you have children, if you have grandchildren, I think you can viscerally understand. And, and actually, there's been a lot of research that shows that that's one of the few political messages around climate change that works. Talked about people's grandkids right. and the world that they might grow up in if we don't fix this, where millions of people a year, tens of millions of people a year have to migrate. I heard you talking about immigration before yes. this. Yeah. Every future war could be fought over climate migration. It is not a future that we want for our kids. And frankly, that future, it is no longer in the abstract. And I think no. you're starting to, to see people experience the extreme weather that is a result of global warming. And it's only going to get worse. In fact, there's... I mean... Yeah. I try not to talk about problems, but who boy, are we in for a rough couple of years? No, I mean, Senator Sanders was saying this on the 2020 campaign trail, that we need to start being very ready for new migrant crises that will all be driven by climate change and scarcity of resources. And we can either take it seriously or not. And let's not even get started about water itself. But you have a you have something you say 
it seems like a credo of yours in the first episode, how a drop becomes a flood. Mm-hmm. And I love that thinking because you point out that how people invest money is a noticeable set of drops. Yeah, I think that um, one of the things that drives me insane about the way t- people tend to talk about this problem is is that they say this is a collective problem. There's nothing that I as an individual can do. This is a collective problem, which causes me to, and this is not flattering, but I really do it. I shriek. I'm like, what do you think a collective is made up of? (laughs) It is a bunch of individuals. And we have examples of this all over the place. You look, you know, you look at an example I often use is high fructose corn syrup. Mm. You know, some research came out that said high fructose corn syrup is unsafe in any amount, basically. And American consumers said, Okay, well, we don't want that in our food. And I'm not saying there isn't some corn syrup washing here and there. It sneaks in. But sure. for the most part, that went away. Hmm. There is, you know, businesses do respond to consumer demand. Now, they, do. they will attempt to obfuscate and confuse you. And maybe in the case of oil companies, mount a 40 to 50 year campaign to pretend that the research that they have doesn't exist. That said, companies respond to consumer demand. And so everybody has an opportunity. And I don't, I don't, I also don't subscribe to the idea that there's only one solution or that you individual human have to do everything. It's just that everyone has to do something. And we sort of all know intuitively how powerful that is. Well, let me ask you about clean tech because that's really the first climate tech boom and bust corporate story, isn't it? I mean, Mm -hmm. it, it seems like we've come a long way since then, but what have we learned since the days of clean tech? If you ask some climate tech investors, they will tell you not very much and we're doing it all over again. Um, But what was really salient in the sort of original clean tech boom, which happened in kind of the late 90s and early 2000s into mid 2000s, and it was really an investment into solar. And it was when you heard a lot about these new solar business models and solar companies. We learned a couple of things. One, that if you're investing in markets and solutions that are incredibly early. So mm-hmm. venture capital, you know, this private capital investment model is what drove a lot of that initial boom. And venture capital works in a very specific way, which is that the, you know, big investors give you the VC some money to invest. Yeah. And that is contractually over a period of 10 years. After 10 years, they expect to get their money back. That's the deal that you have made. So you often hear investors talk about like, well, it it takes solutions too long to be commercialized and make a lot of money for us. And that's what they mean is that there's this 10 year time horizon. So one of the things that happened is that if you're talking about rolling out a lot of infrastructure and a lot of hardware and doing a lot of hard science and also building a market from scratch that didn't really exist, that can take longer than 10 years. The other hard lesson was that China will make your thing cheaper. So if people are buying your solar panels for a high price in the United States, and all of a sudden China comes along and owns that market and makes them a lot cheaper than the market here collapses. Yeah. And so oh, those yeah. two things kind of happened at the same time. And then a bunch of government subsidies went away. And so I think the thing we've learned now is that there are long shots that venture capital can invest in like nuclear fusion and hydrogen airplanes and you know all kinds of amazing electrification schemes and they're magical. And we are risky capital and we should invest in those. And also there are just There's every single layer of life that can be transformed. And so that can be anything from alpaca socks to 
software that lets you, you know, send your spare change to fund renewable energy mm -hmm. or boring HR, boring sounding HR software that actually builds in incredible incentives for employees who bike to work. Amazing. And so that there's a million products that can be built instead of a focus on just one part of it that might not be the appropriate category for like this type of capital. As you speak, I'm trying to imagine how many articles about Solyndra you had to write over the last decade and a half. <laughs> um, can I ask them some basic uh, dumb questions? Uh, what is an ESG fund and, and how much has been invested in ESG funds? So ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. And the, the basic idea is that it's a, a, a data set and an investing strategy that tries to prioritize those things. And so either you, you know, will want a company and, and companies report on those metrics. There aren't, right. we'll get into the criticism of it later, right? But the fundamental idea is that you're looking for companies that do ethical business, have a pretty good diversity record, and also have climate positive policies. And that has taken a lot of different forms. Like one is you can just invest in a company that says, hey, we have really great ESG policies. People started to create financial vehicles around that. So you would see an ESG ETF or right. a fund that was like, like the S&P 500 um, that just included companies who had scored really well according to these metrics. And so fundamentally, that's what ESG means or meant. Okay. Now it means a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah, let me ask about, about green bonds as well, for those who don't know, because I found this fascinating mm -hmm. too. Yeah, in the last, um, I would say just five years, maybe uh, about half a trillion dollars in green bonds have been issued. Oh, I should say it was some, it's almost $3 trillion, $2.7 trillion has been Oof. invested in ESG funds. That was just in 2021. So $250 trillion is invested in public markets globally. 2.7 trillion of that went into ESG funds. So as you mentioned, as I said, that's a lot of drops. And then green bonds have been issued half a trillion dollars worth. Those are debt, bonds are debt that, you know, like you, uh, a city will offer a bond in order to right. pay for something. Right. And so green bonds specifically are offered to finance maybe solar farms or an environmental cleanup project or a new watershed, something that is climate friendly and there's, and people can invest in those as well. Right. I love and it's it. all, and people think that the half a trillion dollars is going to be worth, you know, because bonds give you a fixed return. So you get a right. certain amount of money back that's maybe smaller than a riskier investment, but it's totally guaranteed. So people are like, that is a $4 trillion market based on the half a trillion dollars of bonds that have been issued. It's just, it's just so much money. It's so much money. And, and that leads me to ask, and this is a rather grandiose question, but what really are the financial risks of ignoring the climate crisis? Because I'll be honest, Ms. Wood, there's days when it seems like America's the only country that is ignoring it on a financial level. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to give it to Russia here. They are definitely ignoring it on a financial level. They're really level. Ignore, You're right. They got, I mean, oil, they, they have oil and nothing else. So I guess they have yep. to. Yeah. But it's bad company to be in nevertheless. <laughs> true, 
true. It's not. It doesn't look great for us. <laughs> oh, hey, we'll be carving up the resources in our respective continents 20 years from now. So let's see. But yeah. By God, we petrochemical states stand alone. Um, but I mean, but you the, know how it is. We we watch the news and we hear, I mean, an entire uh, political party that claims to be about conserving things, uh, wholesale yeah. rejecting science uh, as deeply as they reject what's in the Bible. And, and, and it just gets scary as yeah. things get worse and worse that we just see that this is a winning election formula, the denial of science. We saw that it helped kill a million Americans during a pandemic. I'm terrified to think about what is ahead of us. But you are very specific about the financial risks of Absolutely. playing dumb about climate just for politics. And it's not even that I'm specific about the financial risks. The United States government actually at the direction of George H.W. Bush, because mm. back then... Republicans were worried about climate change, and his secretary of state was writing memos saying, hey, this is a major national security threat. That's it's a right. threat to our economic stability because and and we need to. And so the George H.W. Bush administration ordered this national climate assessment and said the United States have to has to conduct this every four years. And the last people, this one, is back when this is back when we were talking about holes in the ozone layer and the government yeah. took it seriously. And the hole in the ozone layer has almost been completely closed over 30 years because of Republican attention to the matter. I'm so sorry, Ms. Wood. Go ahead. No, but it's true. Can you imagine? We fixed a thing. We fixed a thing. The atmosphere. Republicans helped like, fix a thing in the atmosphere. You'd think they'd brag about that in this century. I would think so. And Republicans have always been like conservation. It's in That's, the name. That's Conservation has been a core Republican value for a long time, and it's economics. And so the last one that came out in 2018 was quite clear, and then a new one came out in 2022. Both of them were quite clear that it is a huge, as I said, national security risk because what you start to and financial risk, what you start to get is all kinds of collapses. So every time you hear that there is a wildfire or a hurricane that costs some number, some tens of billions of dollars, that cost is borne by taxpayers, insurance companies, homeowners. Like it might be a little boon for the rebuilding, mm -hmm. but the cost comes from somewhere. In California, this is just one kind of random dumb example, but in uh, California, we had a wild winter, something like yes. 12 atmospheric rivers, you know, lots of destruction, lots of flooding, trees down everywhere, tons of infrastructure damage. So. In 43 counties, most of the counties in California, we don't have to file taxes until October. So that's super for me as a lady with a new business. <laughs> <laughs> but it also means that most of California is not sending any revenue to the federal government. Hmm. That's kind of, okay. that's an issue, right? That's a pro they're like it's going to stretch various budgets because taxpayer money is not coming in. Then there's property destruction. If you're a business, the reason you think of this as a risk and the reason that banks have to think about it as a risk is because you might invest in a building that's destroyed. You might right. invest in infrastructure that is wiped away. Then there's the part where we won't be able to produce enough food. And so right. we will start to have uh, higher import costs because we'll have to import more food. We may actually start to experience scarcity. We may, and when they talk about it as a national security issue, they're talking about migration, but also internal scarcity because if infrastructure fails, you That's don't have it. to go that many days without power before things fall apart. And I know people in the Oakland Hills who didn't have power for up to six days. Mm. I mean, forget about Tahoe, which got insane amounts of snow and people froze to death in their houses. That's right. It's 
really real. That's, I think, why the podcast is so inspiring to me, because it's not just another gloom and doom science forecast. You're actually focusing on the incentives for solving it and focusing on how finding solutions creatively to climate problems will save people money and it'll make money for businesses. This shouldn't be a very hard message to impart. Especially at a time when, you know, I often, this is, <laughs> I'm going to be grandiose for a minute. I often Please. think about so much of the anger that was sown in the United States was the result of globalization. We know this. Yes, We had a policy and a philosophy that said a rising tide around the world will lift all boats. Mm -hmm. And it did. But in the short term, a lot of boats sank. And a lot of those boats were in the United States. And we did not take care of those people. We did not do job training. We did not do economic development. We didn't do a new deal to counter the effects of globalization. That's right. With the climate crisis, I mean, genuinely, when I say we're creating a new economy, we are. There is not a single part of our economy that can't be transformed. You can look around the room that you're in right now, and there are 10 to 1,000 startups in the room. The mm. materials, the electronics, the chair, like <laughs> the glass that you're drinking out of, all of it. And every one of those things has jobs and revenue attached to them. We're already seeing the Inflation Reduction Act. <laughs> We're already seeing this bizarre situation where it's been so popular and mm -hmm. states and cities and businesses are taking advantage of the incentives to such an extent that now people are starting to complain. And by people, I mean Joe Manchin about <laughs> <laughs> that man, about the mm. cost, the quote unquote cost yeah. of doing this. And I'm like, you know, we don't complain about the cost of the New Deal. We drive on the highways and we enjoy interstate commerce. I'm curious, what are the climate tech startups that are most turning you on and exciting you? Um, I have sort of three buckets, I would say, of obsessions. I am, I really believe in the power of the consumer. I genuinely mm -hmm. do. And so I love the tools that make it easy for consumers to just do something different. Because, you know, I think you really only have to convince 20% of a population to do something. And yes. then pretty soon that just becomes the only option that you have. And so anything that makes that easier, the, there's a, you know, a company that's coming up on the podcast actually that offers a software, almost like a library checkout system for reusable containers on college campuses. You wouldn't, I, I did not know this until I talked to this startup, but Ohio State is just one college campus that basically banned disposable containers. That's just right. said, if you go to the UC, or the college you know, campus or the Panda Express on college, on campus, you can't get a throwaway container. It has to be reusable. So <laughs> these great. people created like a checkout system with a barcode <laughs> so that you know these college kids come and they get a reusable container and they take it home for a while and then they return it. And when they return it, they get a credit. And there's you know a whole logistic system that goes into that. And they built the software that makes that go. That's like a oh, perfect, it's brilliant. amazing, brilliant thing that enables a really impactful solution. And it helps them get their degree. We're finally appealing to people's greed and self-interest rather than their altruism. Exactly. <laughs> and even if they just day. get a free coffee, right? Like they just, <laughs> I don't mean a college credit. That would be amazing if they, but they get, you know, free coffee or like a discount on a, they, everybody gets a Frisbee still in college, right? I'm not that old. Right. Um, 
Correct. And so those are the kinds of very clever sort of consumer facing, you know, and there's a, a company that I'm a big fan of that is, in fact, there's several iterations of this that make a, they just make a browser extension. So when you're shopping on a website for clothes, you can click a little button and see more sustainable alternatives and you can buy one of those. It's just so simple. And I love the real, real. And I love Rent the Runway where like, I don't buy new clothes anymore. I have a subscription to Rent the Runway Mm -hmm. and I get four super stylish new outfits every month. My wife's the gig too. That's right. Yeah. And you know what we're doing? We're not buying new clothes. And Mm -hmm. that is a massive climate impact. It's great. So I love those kinds of things. I love uh, weird little financial solutions because I cannot help it. It's the marketplace background. So I'm, <laughs> I do you too. know, they're so interesting. Uh, and- I completely agree. And so uh, and so inspiring because the change never comes the way we expect it to. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I totally agree. Exactly. So that's what. So the first episode is about one of those apps that makes it easier to buy and trade stocks in companies that are climate forward, but is also giving you all this incredibly deep ESG reporting data and letting you figure out how to use your shareholder vote more nice. effectively. Love that I, kind of stuff. And I love the 401, the new 401k companies, like all that stuff I love. And then listen, I am all in on an electric sea glider. Like bring me your, or your seeds. I literally talked to a company that has engineered rice seeds to be able to grow in salt water so they can have ocean farming for Amazing. rice. It's Amazing. incredible. Magic. It, 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 Magic is happening. Let, let, let me ask you about the other end of that moral spectrum, because I'm thinking about the big investors with fossil fuels. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're not going away. The money's still there. We, we can't even drill in all the approved leases in this country. How are the big investors regarding fossil fuels? Are any beginning to drop them? Yes, it was a lot easier to drop them during the pandemic when Exxon's market cap was 265 billion according you know as opposed to the 430 billion that it was when I think I looked today uh-huh. so some of the excitement about divesting of that 250 trillion dollars that I mentioned that's invested globally um, investors have basically taken about 40 trillion of that out of fossil fuel investments and they have said this is not a good long-term business the Russia invading Ukraine complicated that story a lot because all of a sudden there was scarcity. And so we know that investors do respond to supply and demand and oil prices went up and they got great returns buying those stocks. So we have had a bit of a setback in terms of that investment. Smart investors and long-term investors do realize that it's not a good long-term bet. And so I think we are, and because of the rising tide of regulation around the world. The United States is a laggard here, but the European Union is, you know, making financial institutions report their financial risk, their emissions, you know, across even all the way down to their supply chains and the, the companies that they contract with. It is very likely that the SEC will require some financial disclosure around climate risk. All of that will start to, all of that will be a lot of drops. (laughs) All this on the podcast, plus practical tips for everyday greener living. I got to say, you you, you had a line in the first episode that really stayed with me, that real lasting change comes from awareness, activism, and economics. 
It's those three, right? I was thinking about it all day. The first time I saw a Budweiser float at an LGBT pride parade, it, it's, yeah. it's the proof. It all, that's where all progress comes from. Awareness, activism and economics. What's giving you hope right now? It's I will say I have the most hopeful job in the world, actually. And the ability to talk to innovators. And I know that, you know, startups get a bad rap sometimes and some of them go terribly wrong. And not all of these, I call them baby turtles. Not all of my baby turtles are going to make it to the ocean. (laughs) But the amount of hope and creativity and innovation that I see and the number of people that I talk to on a regular basis, I could spend half of my time talking to people who want to pivot into climate. The, The pandemic was a real wake up call for people. It really demonstrated that the worst case can occur. Yeah. And a lot of people shifted their entire mindset around that and they all want to come to this climate problem and try to figure out their way in. And that is that is genuinely I do feel like we're we're getting there. Like we're we're filling up the pool. <laughs> I can't stop with the pool puns. I want to stop, but I never will. I'll take them all because I have to thank you. It has been so long since I have listened to a climate change podcast that left me in a better mood when it ended than before it started. Um, Everybody in the pool is the new podcast and the new newsletter every day as well. Right. How do we subscribe to uh, your daily newsletter? Yes, every uh, every week. The new well, the newsletter is about twice a week. The podcast is weekly and mollywood.co is where you can find all of that. Wonderful. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with all your doings on social media? Definitely find me there. I'm still limping along on Twitter, twitter.com slash Mollywood. And uh, I'm on I'm on Blue Sky. When you end up nice. on Blue Sky, look for me yeah, there. Me too. I'll, I will. <laughs> Mollywood, I'm, I'm, I'm such a fan. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I really, really love the podcast and I think you've done an amazing thing. Please come back and join us again very soon. I would love to. Thank you so much for this. Have a great evening. What a show. My God. I want to give my uh, utmost gratitude to the great team we have here. Thank you to Chris Hauselt. Thank you to the great Thea Harper, Molly Wood. Her podcast is fantastic. Thanks to the great Bob Seska as well. We will be back tomorrow. Keep it tuned to Sirius XM Progress. And remember, the American Medical Association and the American Psychiatric Association both confirm being trans is not a mental disorder. And uh, the Jesus parts of the Bible confirm that trans discrimination is not Christian. Keep it tuned to Progress, guys. Peace. Peace.